you, worship team. And thank you, Flock. It's a joy to worship together. It's a joy to come to the Lord's presence this morning. Not, <laughs> we certainly don't deserve it, but He is gracious. Even after we uh, stuffed our faces on, on Thanksgiving, some of us. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't lump all of you in with me. I know I ate a little bit more than I probably should have. Just got caught up with the, uh, the festivity and the feasting, right? And some of you all are just amazing cooks and chefs and can't hardly help myself. But there's another thing we typically indulge in in the American culture on Thanksgiving weekend, and that is the good old classic tradition of American football. Am I right? Watching some NFL on Thursday and Friday, and then yesterday was quite a significant day in the life of college sports. Does anyone know what it was? Rivalry week, yes. So whether that's Ohio State-Michigan, Florida State versus Florida, as some of you might be a little bit more excited about that than a Midwest rivalry. What about Alabama versus Auburn? I remember that one game where Alabama kicked the field goal and it fell short and Auburn ran all the way back. Oh, that was awesome. That was a great uh, an epic battle and fitting conclusion to the rivalry week. Well, those are good rivalries, right? That's it's entertaining, it's good sports, good football. Shouldn't lead to us uh, exercising the flesh, although sometimes it does. Uh, and in a fitting comparison, today's passage in James chapter 4, which this will be our last uh, study in James before we take four weeks in December um, to look at the coming of Christ. But uh, in James 4, we're also given a, a rivalry, one could say. It's, a, it's an interpersonal conflict, except this one is not fun. It doesn't find itself on the gridiron field, but rather James is speaking against rivalries and factions inside the church, the body of Christ. People who are part of the same family, they, they say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, which means you're my brother and you're my sister, and we're part of the same family because of Christ, and yet people are people. And we have conflict, and we have um, uh, interpersonal conflict. We have uh, what goes even beyond that, quarreling and fighting. And that is what James addresses today. And I've entitled the sermon, The War Within, because James is going to show us yeah, that person that you think is your rival or that conflict that you have and you want to you point at somebody else, actually that conflict begins in our hearts. But humility can bring about peace. Conflict begins in our hearts, but humility can bring about peace. There's two sides to that coin. So let's read this passage. I'll read it out loud. I encourage you to read along in your copy of Scripture on your phone so you also can enjoy reading of the Word of God this morning. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with god it's, you're, you're you're putting yourself on the opposite side from god 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, I know that is a chunk, but it's all one thing. And that's why let's not get lost in the trees for the, the big idea of the forest, which is conflict begins in our hearts, but humility can bring about peace. So first of all, it's just, it's painfully obvious. Christians fight. And we fight because of selfish desires inside of our own heart. It's, it's like James is driving in the, in the Christian family uh, you know, station wagon back in the day. But now it's a minivan. The minivans look much cooler than the you know, station wagon back in the day. He's driving along. And the brothers and sisters in Christ are fighting in the back seat. Hitting each other, yelling at each other. Me and my sister, when we go on long road trips, we use some feet in the back seat and try to push each other up against the glass. Then mom and dad, they, 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 got us in, they got us in line, don't worry. But we were, we were a little bit out of control as kids. So James is driving along, and they're, we're fighting in the back seat. Oh, your brothers and sisters, what is going on? And, you know, when mom and dad you know, really know how to raise that voice, the kids sit up and listen, and then what do they do next? He started it. They did it. Here's what they did. It wasn't me. No, I didn't, I didn't do that. That's what we do, isn't it? Even grown adults. Well, it's not my fault there's there's conflict in the church. And, well, you know, today would have been a great day of worship if so-and-so hadn't said this to me. And, uh, you know, that just gets in our mind. And hold on now. Let's confront our own flaws. He says, your passions are at war within you. So this battle, long before it works its way out here, starts in here. The word he uses is the pursuit of physical pleasure. A word that we now use today, hedonism. Pursue whatever makes you feel good. Indulge yourself. Treat yourself. Now, James isn't saying you can't enjoy some of the good things and the gifts that God's given us. Like some good food. The company of, of some friends and family, or a beautiful sunset off Siesta Key, or going out on a boat, doing some fishing. He's not saying, how dare you enjoy those good things. That's not what Hedone is talking about. This is, I want to do what I want, and if my desires compete with God's word, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. I am driven by my passions. But here's the thing. Christians, true believers, 
who have received Christ as our Savior also have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So that's where the battle comes from. I have my inner passions and desire, that old man, you know, before I came to Christ, or, or old woman, you could say, this is who I was apart from Christ. And the Holy Spirit knows that is not what's best for you. This is not God's plan for you. This is not what he has laid out. And so there's that inner turmoil. If you're an unbeliever, there's no inner turmoil. You just do what you want. And you're a slave to that. There's no plan B. You're only ever going to choose what is best for you. Or maybe, if you're a really good person, you might, oh, I'm going to do what's best for my family. But there's still some selfish interest involved there because only God's love, true, pure love from God, is selfless. So, so I don't even know what that looks like apart from Christ, who laid his life down for his enemies, totally emptied himself for the glory of the Father. So there's this war going on. And Galatians 5.17 tells us more about this battle. It says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. In other words, mortal enemies to keep you from doing the things you want to do. <clears throat> so where is my desire truly? That's what that battle reveals. Because who I let win that fight today shows who am I listening to. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, or I'm just going to do my own thing just this one time. And, and, and Josh, is it really a big deal? If I just give up in this battle, or, you know, I, I just, I'm tired of fighting, I'm going to give in. It's just easier. It might not be easier with that, that person you're having a conflict with, but, but you'll feel better about yourself. Well, here's what James says. When you desire and you don't get what you want, that's how murders happen. That's how murders happen. I want something, and someone or something is getting in my way. So I'll murder them. Now surely he's not, he's not talking to Christians here. Christians wouldn't actually murder somebody. I mean, there's that story about King David sending Uriah to the front lines. But no, I think what James is doing us, uh, doing us a favor here is reminding us of the words of our Lord and Savior in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you'll remember, I'll read it to refresh our memory. Matthew 5, verses 21 to 22. Jesus equates hating your brother with murder. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay, that's the same. You murder, you get judged. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus raises the bar. He says if you hate someone in your heart, if you are continually angry at someone in your heart, cursing someone in your heart or with your lips, you are not giving thanks for their life. What are you doing? You are murdering them in your heart. In God's eyes, you have broken the sixth commandment. I would never pick up a knife. I would never pick up a gun. But if you hate them in your heart, God views it the same. In the same way, he says, you covet and cannot obtain, so then you fight and you quarrel. Because what are we trying to do? With our words, we're trying to get what we want. We're trying to express our frustration with how we've been treated or we feel we should be treated better. You know what we're doing? We're breaking the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. But I 
but I do want that. Breaking the commandment. It reminds me of a, of a time when I was training to be a Christian counselor at a, at a summer camp, and they did two weeks of intensive training sessions with the staff to walk us through and to try to prepare us what it's like to work with teenagers day in and day out for six days in summer camp and to try to prepare us for the battles that we might experience or, you know, someone might try to run away from your cabin and here's what you do. But, you know, the biggest battle that they prepared us for in those trainings, be careful. When you work with a bunch of sinners, you know what that's going to reveal about your heart? The sin issues you struggle with. In fact, they told us a story of a, of a counselor and a camper who played an innocent pickup game of basketball. One-on-one. -on -one. No big deal, right? People do this all the time. Well, turns out the camper was actually pretty good at basketball and was trashing this counselor and putting up the points on him. Well, that bruised this counselor's ego. So he starts to send some chatter the camper's way and starts talking about fouls that, that you know, you should be calling this a foul. You're, you're playing dirty or you know, you're traveling and just nitpicking on him and Pretty soon it turns into this full-blown explosion. The counselor unloads all of his frustration on the camper and walks away, quits the game, leaves the camper, a teenager, crying in tears. So then one of the camp staff members is walking by and sees what is going on. Why is a camper <coughs> bawling during our fun free time in the afternoon? Oh, it's because one of our counselors treated you like a jerk. So they tracked that counselor down and asked, what is going on? You know what was going on? His fragile ego couldn't handle losing to a camper. And he would do whatever it took to let it be known that he was displeased with this situation and it turned into a full-blown war on the basketball court. Why do we do this? We do this because we're giving in to that battle to the flesh. We're pursuing desires, ultimately because we don't trust God to provide what we need, or like he is actually in control of the situation. No, I need to be in control of this situation. I'm going to take, take control of this, of this vessel here. And then our relationship with God gets completely out of sync. And you know what's also sad about this? We could have so much more than we're even asking for. Look at that. At the end of verse 2, he says, You don't have some things because you're not even asking the Father for them. <laughs> don't you want to experience the abundant, joyful life that God has promised to his children? Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean there's not going to be incredible hurt or hardship or suffering, absolutely. I would even argue that that spiritual battle happening within is much harder than what the world has to face because they don't have any guilt about that. They do what they want. So why do we have such a hard... Well, you know, we would have many more blessings and, and comforts. We would be reminded of God's promises more often if we would actually talk to Him and ask Him thank him for what we do have. But the longer we walk in our selfish pursuits, I need to get mine. I need to take control here. God says, okay, God, see, see what happens there with that. Why don't we trust our loving Father to spoil us with his riches? 
He says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. So now our prayer life is ineffective. The longer that we're pursuing self, when we give into those desires over and over, saying, yeah, I think even though it's just a momentary gratification, this will fill me up more than God can, then what kind of prayers are, are getting to God? Self-absorbed, warped prayers. And God says, it's in your best interest that I don't answer that. There really is. Or it's in the best interest of your brothers and sisters in Christ that I don't answer that. Aren't we sick of that kind of life? Do we like being ineffective, disconnected from God, living in guilt and shame, not trusting the Father, but feeling like we have to get ours and we're going to get it by any means necessary? Aren't we tired of fighting with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Wherever you find yourself this morning, we've all been at the point where we have tried to fill ourselves up with some kind of desire. And it's only temporarily satisfied if it ever satisfied for a moment. Came up empty. Why don't we assess ourselves and say, God, I recognize the source of the conflict. It's me. And I want my eyes wide open to my own selfishness, my own desires, my own lukewarm Christianity, places where I've lost my warmth and my passion for you because I've been too focused on my wish list and my dreams. God, forgive me. That's how we become lukewarm evangelists. That's how we become lukewarm in our marriage. Why? Because this isn't giving me what I want. I need to get what I want. What about what God wants? Start there. And the passion will come for him and for unity with others. But here's the deal. God doesn't just want part of us. It's an all or nothing deal. God wants all of us. Look at verses 4 through 6. Doesn't start off very cheerful. You adulterous people. Whew, okay. Take a step back there. Well, James has done an effective job of showing us where the problem starts, doesn't he? So, just like a good doctor, once you know where the problem is, you got cancer. Except the cancer that we have in the heart is adultery. We are cheating on our God with something else. There's a replacement happening in the priorities of our heart. And actually, in the Greek, it's a, it's a feminine term. You adulteresses, because all throughout um, the, the history of God's people, he refers to the group of, of his people in a feminine term, like his bride. Right? That's how he calls his church today. Or Israel in the Old Testament, he calls like my people and refers to them in a feminine term because he identifies himself as the groom. As the, the lover and the pursuer and the one who, who uh, um, proposes. I've done all this for you. Will you run to me? Will you love me with all of your heart? But when we give in to the idols of the heart, we're cheating on God. It's, it's all or nothing, right? That's, that's how it works. And, and James says, don't you realize that the longer you pursue those passions and you say, hold on, God, hold on, God, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'll come back to you. I'll, I'll, I'll work it out on Sunday. He says, what you're doing is you're kissing up to the world. Friendship with the world. You're hugging the world. People who are opposed to God and hate God and hate his word and want to tear down anything that he builds and his, the moral fabric of society, we're kissing up to them. We're hugging them. 
and we're stiff-arming God at the same time, because you can't have it both ways. Think of Judas Iscariot. When he goes up to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he gives him a kiss on the cheek, don't you just want to mentally slap the guy? How disgusting. You are betraying your Lord, you traitor, you Judas. You can't kiss Jesus and kiss the world with the same lips. But do we do that in some of our daily lives? Are we guilty of spiritual adultery at times? That means we're pushing God away. And there's no point to live like a Judas. Now, when we get to verse 5, I'm going to be honest with you. All the commentators agree. This is one of the most difficult verses to translate. Because it's, it's not entirely clear right away who is referring to what. And if you look at the, the ESV translation that I just read, uh, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, quote, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, end quote. Well, here's the thing. If you Google search or, or look up in, in your Bible search tools, what is this verse James is quoting? It, it's not there. There's no Old Testament verse that actually says that. So, okay, is that the most accurate translation for what James is saying here? And I looked up a couple different ways of, of, of phrasing this and what makes the most sense. And you just got to pray through it and try to understand what is the author communicating. I could be wrong on this, but I think this is very close to what James is saying. So, I think there are, not think, there are two independent clauses in this verse. He's asking two questions. The first question is, do you suppose that scripture speaks in vain? Question mark. Next question. Does the spirit he has made to dwell in us not yearn jealously over us? Question mark. So in other words, he's saying, if you want to live like a Judas, do you really think the word of God is supposed to be in vain like that? We're not actually living out what we claim to believe. Doesn't that tie in with the whole book of James? To me, that question makes absolute sense. Yeah, scripture is supposed to produce change in someone's life. But that second question, doesn't the spirit who dwells in us yearn jealously over us? You know why the spirit's not going to let you go without a fight? And he's not going to let you keep going down that path? Because God wants all of you. He is jealous for you. Yes, you and me. Messed up as we are, he loves us. Look at what he did through his son to give us peace and to bring his holiness to our hearts. This is what we need. The work that Jesus went all the way to the cross to accomplish and then beyond to the empty grave and to the gates of heaven that's his same spirit continues that work inside of us today. What was Jesus going to stop at in order to win your heart for God? The answer was nothing. And if the Holy Spirit inside of you is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, what's the Holy Spirit going to stop at in order to reclaim your entire heart and mind and words, your hands and your feet and everything for God? The answer is nothing. It's a good thing to be jealous if it leads you to actions that are redeeming. That's the holy jealousy of God. Now, that's not the jealousy that I struggle with a lot of times. 
But that is who our God is. He went to the cross to win our adulterous hearts and bring us back to him. So we realize we mess up, right? I've cheated on God. I'm a sinner. I mess up. Even this morning, there are things that I put in a higher priority than God. What do I do? Guess what? Verse 6. He gives more grace. <laughs> he loves you. If you are in Christ, you cannot sin your way out of the family of God. Grace doesn't work like that. A legalistic, works-based faith might work that way. But salvation, that Paul says, is by grace. It's a gift to be freely received. If it's genuinely received, there's more grace for you, my friend. More and more grace. Beyond any failure or adultery, this is why what Pastor Dennis read earlier is so important. To look to the, the final day when we're gathered together into heaven, the Bible tells us that Jesus is gathering his bride together and she will be white and dressed in pure linen. God will not stop his work of purifying his bride, which means his grace is limitless. Because one day our eyes will close and we will see the king. You will either bow the knee humbly now or be forced to as an enemy. But if you are his bride, there is limitless grace for you. That's who he is. But take a warning. God does oppose the proud. If your heart is not soft towards God, if you do not receive Christ as your Savior and receive and believe the word of God and you choose to go your own way, you can do that. But there are cosmic consequences. This war will cost you everything. And my friends, if you're here this morning, I'm begging you. Wave the white flag. You cannot win against God. Nor would you want to. Why would you choose this messed up world and kiss the world and reject the only one who has done everything it took to win your heart to himself. The cross is the invitation. This is the demonstration of God's love for us. But Jesus says in Mark 8, 38, whoever is ashamed of me, you're ashamed of my words before this adulterous and sinful generation. One day when the Son of Man comes in glory, he will be ashamed of you when he comes with his angels and the glory of the Father. So we have a gift here this morning, an invitation to bow the knee, to give our hearts to God and allow him to have all of us. And the third and final thing, true humility like that brings peace, lasting peace. Verses 7 through 12, it's so clear. And it's just command after command after command after command, but it's, it's all tied up in this same uh, um, uh, posture towards God of humility. Submit to him. And, and submitting to him means you're resisting the devil. You see how, how that worked before? To be friends with the world is to be an enemy with God. But to be friends with God, the devil is your enemy. You're able to resist him, and he will flee. 
we're also told, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We're told to cleanse and purify ourselves. We're told to weep over sin. And then, of course, the actual word used, humble. Humble yourself over and over. Do you not realize if the problem starts here, then I need God's work to start here. I, before I start focusing on fixing anybody else or changing my circumstances or what does the future hold, God, I need you to get a hold of me. Step one, I'm a sinner and I repent. I need to stop trying to type my destination into the GPS and give it to God and let him put the destination in and I'm along for the ride. That's really what needs to happen. Jesus needs to take the wheel. Not in a cheesy country song sense, but, but literally. Jesus, you need to be Lord over my life. I'm going to stop devoting my energy to resisting your plan. What a waste of time. i, I got to stop that. Come on, Josh. Submit to the Lord. Know his word. Follow it. And the devil, he's a coward. He is a coward. He cannot stand before the Son of God. This is why Jesus quotes the word of God when he was tempted of the devil. He resists Satan's temptation. All the temptations can be resisted with the word of God. And when he resists him, Satan disappears. Oh, I failed. Because he doesn't actually have control over you. Can we stop acting as if Satan has control over our lives? He only has control over those who are willingly giving it to him. Those who are unbelievers. They don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. So yes, they are captive to their desires. They, that makes sense. They are under the prince of this age. But believers are not. All he can try to do is try to take some of your joy. And try to mess with your head. And try to disrupt relationships in the church. Stop giving him access. This doesn't belong here. Show him the door. Christ reigns here. And we're drawing near to him on a weekly basis, on Sunday morning, and in our personal Bible study and prayer time. And when we're talking with others, we want to bring Christ into the, into the conversation. It's not like, oh, I'm a Jesus freak. I can't, I can't speak two sentences without, without quoting a Bible verse. You're just cognizant of the fact that Christ is over me and he's over this conversation. So it would be weird not to be aware of that and mention that. He's near. He's with us. And, and one powerful visual I was given here, when James tells us to cleanse and purify, so let's see here, that would be verse, oh, I'm looking at the wrong chapter here. So verse 8, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. You know what that, what that image is in my head of the temple? Because he's writing to Jewish believers here. The temple is no longer the place that they worship used to be a building, and there were the sacrifices, and there was the, the altars, and there was the offerings, and there was the incense and the scent. There were also instruments to be used in the worship by the priests and the Levites, and all of those things had to be consecrated. In other words, it had to be cleansed. There's a ritual cleansing. If you're going to approach God, don't do it with dirty instruments. Don't do it with dirty hearts, don't do it with dirty instruments. And you got to cleanse the space to make space for God to meet with us here. And they had to continually do that. And if the instruments got corrupted, cleanse them again. Guess what? We're, we're going to continue to still worship God here. But he says, we need to do that. With our hands and our heart. Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament age. 
It's not a building anymore. We are the building. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. So if in the Old Testament it was inappropriate to approach God with dirty instruments, <laughs> wouldn't it make sense that if my mind has been dirty and thinking things that are, that are wrong towards God, if my heart has been bitter and angry, if my lips have been speaking gossip and slander or, or putting people down or, 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 or throwing out curse words, God, forgive me. Please cleanse me. Holy Spirit, have all of me. I need to clean. Clean before God. Not just on Sunday, every day. And the Holy Spirit has the broom. But the question is, are you opening up all the doors in your temple? Are you letting them sweep out your heart on a daily basis? Your mind, your speech, and, and how you treat others. God, clean me up. I need you. It should even bring us to tears. It, it, it's weird. You would think, oh, God turns our mourning into joy. And he does. But if we're genuinely seeking God and humbling, humbling ourselves to him, then I should cry at the state of my own messed up heart. God, I'm sorry. I did it again. I told myself I wouldn't. I told others and I did it. I don't know why you keep forgiving me, God. You're so gracious. He's like, it's not a joke to sin. We gotta stop joking about it. It's the reason people spend eternity in the lake of fire. No, we will humble ourselves before God. And when we humble ourselves before God, in that humble spirit, He lifts us up. He lifts us up. I know we come in here to worship on Sunday to lift the name of Christ high. And when we do that, He brings us up with Him. Humble yourselves before God, He will exalt you. He's the one who brings us to our heavenly home. He's the one that cleans us up. He's the one that restores our relationships. But as long as you have to be right about something, there's no exaltation happening there. That's all self. And the world is a witness to us, church. This is why brotherly love matters. They're not going to believe that Jesus is worth anything if we aren't loving each other. Because Jesus says, if you don't love your brother who you see, you don't love God whom you cannot see. And the world says, as far as I know, God is just this made up figment of your imagination. But when they see us love one another and us refusing to cut each other down with our words, they see a gap here between us and the world. What has caused this gap? What has caused this life change? How do you love each other like that? That's Christ. And that he gets exalted through us. Our time is, is about up, so I'm not going to be able to dig much into 11 and 12, but it's just a, it's a practical outworking. Stop speaking evil about your neighbor. Stop speaking evil about your neighbor. And one of my former pastors, his name is Stephen Davey, he gave a really good challenge to his church when he was preaching through this passage of James. And I think it's just the kind of challenge that we could use in our spiritual lives. Are you ready for a challenge? Okay. This is our 24-hour challenge. How do I know if I'm really sincerely trusting God and I'm not angry or bitter towards others? Okay. Here's the 24-hour challenge. Until 11.30 a.m. tomorrow... 
we, Living Hope Church, will not say anything critical or unkind about somebody else for 24 hours. And if we fail, we will ask God to forgive us, and we will press forward in trying to, to, to meet that challenge. Because if we can't do something for 24, or if we can't live without something for 24 hours, you know what that means? It's an addiction. And while we say we love God and we trust his word, are we actually addicted to the world's way of doing things? Let's test ourselves. 24-hour challenge. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you 11.15. 11.15 tomorrow. Let's speak kindly and positively, and if we catch ourselves speaking critically, say, you know what, I just I don't need to say that. Don't need to say it. It's not necessary, edifying, or helpful. I'm going to choose to use my lips to praise God and help others, and let's freely dispense God's grace around us this week. Shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, which does not return void, not for a second. Thank you for this journey through James, Lord. We needed it. We needed to be reminded of what a holy God you are. And you're also jealous. You want us, all of us. You love us. You died for us. And Lord, I'm afraid too often I only give you a part of myself. Either I'm going through the motions or I'm allowing my frustrations or anger or things to carry me through the day rather than your grace and your spirit. And I confess that and I ask for your help today. Cleanse this dirty temple. Let your spirit fill me. I need it. I need you, Lord. And I pray for our church. There might be some here this morning who are even wondering, have I actually opened up my entire heart to the Lord and received him as Lord and Savior my entire life? And it's not just lip service. I pray that today they'd be honest and open about that and be willing to take that step of faith and receive that gift of salvation today. And for those of us who do know you, Christ, and we have you, Spirit, would you help us to be able to uh, attempt this challenge and stick to it and see what a difference it makes when we choose to use our words for good rather than um, critical judgment of others. We love you. And we ask your help to live out these truths today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.